I'm Hillary. I'm Emily. And we're the Sirens. Today we're talking about Indiscreet, which is a 1958 movie produced and directed by Stanley Donan, starring Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman, Phyllis Calvert, and Cecil Parker. It's based on the play Kind Sir by Norman Krasna, and it was Grant and Bergman's second film together after Alfred Hitchcock's movie Notorious, and it was one of the first films to popularize the artistic use of the technique of split screens. And so Anna Kalman, played by Ingrid Bergman, is an accomplished, very famous London-based theater actress with her sister is married to a very high-ranking official in NATO, Alfred. Um, Through him, she meets a handsome finance expert named Philip Adams. She is instantly captivated by him and they seem to have an instant attraction, but there's one problem and that's that he's already married. Nevertheless, (laughs) romance and intrigue ensue. (laughs) I, I was interested that you said that it was a play because one of my thoughts as I was watching it is was this feels like a play. There's only really yeah six characters for the most part and there's like all the action takes place pretty much in this one spot mm-hmm. yeah it could I, I was thinking about that a lot watching this movie that it felt like a lot felt a lot like a play the play was a total flop but I read somewhere that that was even though it was adapted for the screen there's enough similarities that the writer of the play like felt vindicated by its success and just, you know, convinced himself that if had had a better production on the on the stage, it would have, you know, been successful. If the tone had been different, it reminded me of the screwball comedies in a mm-hmm. way. Yeah. But the difference was the screwballs is that they just like usually there's a lack of communication or just something ridiculous going on and in this it was just like this person lied and that's like the whole source of the conflict lied and continues to lie and stands by that lie resolutely absolutely correct (laughs) you're like could you just not lie though could Could you you, yeah i want to get into the psychology of it when when we (laughs) when we talk about it (laughs) Do you want my trivia? Yes, I would like to hear, especially because the chemistry was so good in this. I want to hear what was going on behind the scenes. Yeah. So firstly, Cary Grant said this was his personal favorite film that he made. Wow. Yeah, of all the films. I think that that chemistry that you see in this movie has has good um, good basis. I mentioned it was the second film that Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman did together. They were also very, very close friends. Um, Cary Grant um, accepted Ingrid Bergman's uh, Academy Award for her on her behalf in, in 1956 when she was still exiled in um, Italy because she had the audacity to have a, an affair with Roberto Mussolini. Oh. And she apparently, they both had uh, like essentially agreed that they would only do this film if with the other person. Um, Ingrid Bergman apparently agreed to do the film. With, she hadn't even read the script, but she said if Cary Grant was doing it, she would do it. And he only agreed it, agreed to do it if they cast her in the role. Wow, that's some endorsement. Yeah, I mean, you know, they liked each other a lot. 
<laughs> the censors had a problem with the idea of Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman in bed together, which is not surprising, given it was 1958. So director Stanley Donan shot an overhead split screen sequence showing both stars side by side in bed, but with a clearly visible border between them. The yeah, that that shot was really cool. Yeah, I loved that shot. It reminded me of like some of the stuff we saw later with the Doris Day mm-hmm. movie <laughs> where they were like using the split screen a lot and all like it, but it was very clever. Like it looked like they were holding hands at certain points. It didn't feel lascivious. It just felt like intimate. Yeah. It was nice and felt, it felt very like, um, I don't want to say stealthy, but it was just like very elegantly done. Yeah. Um. So I, I mentioned this was based on the, play Kind Sir, which was on Broadway for 166 performances. Uh, it, it included, um, the cast included Charles Boyer in the Cary Grant role and Mary Martin in Ingrid Bergman's role. And Cary Grant learned how to play snooker snooker for this movie by, and he was taught by Sidney Lee, who was at the time one of the best um, players in Great Britain. And he also learned how to play the violin left-handed. Um, and then Ingrid Bergman obviously learned how to dance the Highland Fling <laughs> to be able to <laughs> in this movie. Yeah, by the way, my favorite part of the whole movie yeah. is, <laughs> is the extended dance scene. Why am I not surprised? <laughs> um, the car that her chauffeur drives is a brand new 1958 Rolls-Royce Silver Wraith, which at the time would have cost... $23,000, which in 2020 um, would have cost $209,000. And then there's a story that Carrie Grant actually bought the car at the end of the filming. Oh. This is the first of two films by Grandin Productions, which was owned by Carrie Grant and directly director Stanley Donan. The other film they produced uh, was The Grass is Greener in 1960. Oh, which we also did on the podcast, mm-hmm. I guess, specializing in later Cary Grant roles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. with so implied, I with implied affairs. <laughs> yes, with implied affairs, where everything somehow works out at the end. Yeah, it's all fine. Well, which which did you like better, indiscreet or the grass is greener? I mean, I think they are both kind of. I don't know. I mean, I have a soft spot in my heart for indiscreet, partly because Ingrid Bergman is in it, mostly because Ingrid Bergman is in it. Um, but I mean, I like grass is greener. I think they are like similarly like you know you know it's going to end well. It's a bunch of rich people like walking around <laughs> in ostentatious living quarters, and you know. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. I do have financial questions about indiscreet. (laughs) (laughs) I think I preferred indiscreet though. And I don't know if it was just because it was Ingrid Bergman in in that one, Mm -hmm. or I thought the dialogue was really snappy in indiscreet more so than in the, it was just like the tone was a little more fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For sure. Um, so what anyway, what did you bio? I bioed Phyllis Calvert, who plays Margaret, the sister. Even though it was a supporting role, because there's so few people in this movie, it, she and her husband Albert actually have a lot of dialogue and appear in a lot of the scenes. Mm-hmm. So it felt like a more significant role, and I did not 
recognize her from anything else, so I was curious. Mm-hmm. Um, so Phyllis Calvert was born in 1915 in Chelsea, London, and trained at the Margaret Morris School of Dancing. At 12, she performed in her first film role in The Arcadians, and she continued acting but turned to the stage, performing in repertory theater in Malvern and Coventry. She made her London stage debut in A Woman's Privilege in 1939, Uh, and Calvert became most famous for her roles playing the good girl in the Gainsborough melodramas in the 1940s. Um, So these were like, not like a series in the true sense of the word, but a number of films made by this one film company where they were all these like super emotional, melodramatic type plots, like often like period stuff. And there would be like a good girl and a vixen and like a hero (laughs) and a villain. (laughs) And so they were sort of like thematically connected, but people were super into them in Britain. So she became very famous for these because she was in like a bunch of them. So she was spotted in a play Punch Without Judy and was signed to a contract by Gainsborough Pictures, which gave her the lead in They Came By Night in 1940, opposite Will Fife. And she appeared in a bunch of their subsequent films, starting to grow a reputation for herself until she had her breakout role in The Man in Gray in 1943. Hmm. The movie was a huge success, making her and her three co-stars, Stuart Granger, James Mason, and Margaret Lockwood, huge box office stars in Britain. Um, And I looked up the plot of the film, The Man in Grey, and it's basically like evil rich guy marries woman to become his brood sow and then wants to have an affair with her like seductress best friend and then hero visits. Like it's like very... (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) I know, very silly and um, sort of obvious in its morality. I guess you could see, I mean, it's kind of like watching a soap opera or something and yeah, and, and that can be fun. Uh, so she followed that movie with Fanny by Gaslight in 1944, co-starring Granger and Mason, which was another big hit and had additional successful Gainsborough melodramas into the mid-1940s. In 1945 and 1946, she was voted fifth and then sixth most popular star in Britain. So she was pretty well known. Um, Her success was noticed in the U.S., although her films weren't as popular there. And she signed a six-picture deal with Paramount and went back and forth between Britain and Hollywood into the late 1940s and 50s, making films, performing on TV, and doing plays on the stage in London. Hmm. And then she had her supporting role in Indiscreet in 1958. And she continued acting throughout her life, appearing in over 40 films and continued acting into old age, um, even appearing on TV into the 2000s. Wow. Yeah. In her personal life, she was married to the actor and antiquarian bookseller, Peter Murray Hill, until his sudden death in 1957, and they had two children. She died in her sleep in London in 2002 from natural causes at age 87. Wow. And she's quoted about the difficulty of playing good girl roles, saying, 
I do think it is much more difficult to establish a really charming, nice person than a wicked one and make it real. In a way, I kind of agree with her. Like the juicier role that you can dig into is often the villain or like the character role. But if you're kind of like a boring character, it's harder (laughs) to make that person likable. And she was very well liked. Yeah. Interesting. Ah. Yeah. I'm glad you buy her. I know. And I thought she was funny. Like she had a lot of good lines mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in this movie and she wasn't, I don't know if I would have called her like a good girl role in this, but I wouldn't say good girl. I would say like mild, like don't rock the boat. Yeah. So let's get into it. I want to know when you first saw this movie and how you feel about it. I can't remember when I first saw this movie. It was probably sometime when I was in middle school I think and I forget about it from time to time and then I remember that this movie exists and I feel better about the world (laughs) I hadn't seen it in a number of years I had forgotten a lot of the little details but I some of the details like stuck with me like the fact that like when she comes back to our apartment and there's still like sheets pulled over everything she like goes and gets milk and like liverwurst I think out of her refrigerator and like sits in her little nook and um eats it and I like for some reason I remember that because that's <laughs> disgusting sounding but yeah it's um, an odd combination of foods yeah <laughs> but there's I don't know some things about this movie that I think have just like s- stuck with me since I first saw it many many years ago so and this was your first time watching it right yes I I liked a lot of things about this movie not uh, not everything I mean I didn't agree I mean (laughs) we can talk more about like the motivations of people and stuff but what I really liked was expectations about women yes (laughs) I thought the dialogue was really great and witty and was carried off well. The thing I was most impressed by actually was the chemistry between Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman, because I think like almost out of all of the movies I've seen or we've seen for the podcast, this to me felt like I was I was convinced that these people were in love, mm-hmm. like in a real, like in a very palpable way that just isn't there in other movies and Mm -hmm. that was very compelling to me yeah and like I didn't I did not agree with the behavior of Cary Grant or Ingrid Bergman about certain things but I still was like oh like these are two people who really really care about each other yeah and like are just drawn together and fit together so well I don't know how they were they supposed to have ever had an affair you would know this better than me like did they actually have an affair like in real life oh um you know I you mean Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman not correct let's Um, clarify because there's multiple levels here I, you know, I'm not sure. I know that they were really, really close. And I think maybe they were just friends, but I'm not sure. They Like, he stood by her, even though, like, the rest of Hollywood rejected her because she fell in love with Roberto Rossellini. That also says something. I, I just, I was curious because I was like, this feels very real. <laughs> yeah. Are these, are they just that good of actors? Yeah. Because <laughs> we've seen them in others, a lot of other stuff. 
So yeah. I, I was curious about that. But then the parts that I didn't like were obviously that he perpetuated this lie really for no reason. Yeah. Just so that he couldn't get like roped into marriage. Yeah. And it he did not see any problem with what he did. Like there was no resolution where he was like, oh, this was a huge mistake. Like our some of the foundation of our relationship is based on a lie. Yeah. And he didn't, there was no like come to Jesus moment about that. Not that everything has to be like, oh, he like a morality tale, but it just to me showed that he was mainly concerned with his point of view and what was convenient for him. Yeah. He didn't care what, what, what like caused her pain. Yes. And then the other thing I did not like about it was that Ingrid's character was so just moony over him that she was kind of like she seemed to kind of have lost her own free will or ability to like state what she wanted and just like there was an aspect of the way she was playing their love that just made it seem like you know well what can you do like when you're in love and there was a line where she says uh something like when you're in love everything's right with the world or something like that and it was just like not really like it seemed like the kind of thing where like speaking of melodrama someone who just gets like really emotional and like everything is about that Mm -hmm. just like their relationship yeah yeah so. I mean but on the other hand I like appreciated that she like that even like when in the whole like sea witch scene she goes and she's like she's like I'm gonna do the talking it, like I want to like negotiate like getting the sea witch for two weeks in July I'm gonna go like talk to this guy and you're like you are not to say anything and of course the joke is that he's like bought the sea witch but like I appreciate that she's like I'm gonna when she like when she discovers that he's bought the sea witch she's like why would you buy that like I just need it for two weeks in July I don't need you to buy it (laughs) yeah (laughs) but that was also I felt like don't bring like just go do it yourself like don't bring him Yeah, you know what I mean? only a bit, I mean, I like read that as like she was going and he was around because like he could only come back on the weekends. And so like, you know, she was going then and that's when he, they could get the appointment. I didn't read that as a like she was dependent on him. I was just like, this is when I'm going. <laughs> I, don't know. I just thought of myself, it would be like, I know you're in town, but guess what? I still have my own life going on and I have an appointment. So peace out. Like, (laughs) I also thought it was funny. Well, like they acted. So he was posted in Paris and then like they acted like, oh, it's so convenient because like you're in Paris and I'm in London and we'll just. And I was like, that's actually not that convenient. Like, of course, he's coming back on the weekends, but. Yeah. You still are living in different countries. Yeah, you're in different countries and it's an hour and a half flight each way. So so that's not great. And then when he had to go, like he was offered the job and he just, you know, took it without actually talking to her about it. He acted like he was going to consult her and he was like, well, no, I already took it. But then she finds out that he's going to be in New York for five months and like flips out like it's the end of the world. And I was like, lady, it is five months and you're an actress so like if you have like a break in between plays or something you could go to New York like it's right yeah they also like talk about like he's gonna take the boat and then she's gonna fly over there to surprise him I'm like why wouldn't you just like fly over there 
Yeah, like she acted like being apart for five months was an insurmountable obstacle. I don't know. I mean, I've done a lot of long distance relationships and I was just like, that's not that long. It's He's not saying I'm moving to a faraway country and will not see like permanently. It's like I'm taking this gig for a couple months and you can come visit me like it was well and it's also a like i assume highly paid very safe gig it's not like he's like off to a war zone for <laughs> five yeah, months exactly and so i wanted to ask you about the psychology of this whole thing because have you ever read any nancy mitford like love in a cold climate like those kinds of books okay because like some of this felt to me like the reason their relationship was good or the movie seems to be saying their relationship was good was because it was an affair or it was Mm. perceived as an affair and like the parameters around it were like they knew they were never going to get married they lived apart and like longed for each other and then saw each other on the weekends. And so they would have like passion and longing. And then when they got together, it was all like, you know, we're going to the ballet. We're going out to nice restaurants. Like we're going to like fancy galas. And then we're having sex in my wonderful apartment. And it's like, yeah, any relationship could thrive under those circumstances. Yeah. <laughs> because there are no like you're not even making decisions together you don't share a household you don't share responsibilities it seemed like basically when they were together they weren't like working they weren't doing anything else so and and those nancy mitford books which were sort of like they talked a lot about that like oh being a mistress is actually like an ideal type of love And I even have a friend who says that's like, that's like the best type of relationship because like there's this element of like, you can't quite get what you want, but it's like really sexy. And so I just, I want your thoughts about that part of it. Cause she actually seems upset when she finds out he's not married and it doesn't seem like it's all because like, oh, they could have gotten married. Some of it is like, oh, this like sexy thing I thought we were doing isn't what we're doing. How love, she said, how dare he make love to me and not be a married man. Exactly. (laughs) That was a great line. She's like, she, back to what you were saying about like her, like her being in it. I think like the way I interpret it is that she has a lot of freedom because she doesn't have to like coordinate with him or like, you know, do stuff. Like all they're doing is fun stuff. So she doesn't have to like give up any of her freedom that she has as a single woman. That sort of like her reaction to finding out that he has lied to her. I mean, I think her reaction is like over the top and is like totally like played for laughs. But I think there's like a, I don't know. I mean, it would be frustrating, I think, to be like, I if I like I had this like idea in my mind of like what our relationship was gonna be, and you just like totally turns out you were lying and you were lying about like it like it's totally idiotic why he was lying and so it seems like her and and what he was lying about so it seems like it on some level it seems perfectly reasonable that she would have an unreasonable reaction to it because it is like why would you lie (laughs) yeah it does seem to get at that idea of like you know is romance sort of incompatible with domesticity i mean they don't really 
get into it in the movie as much of like what would it look like if we were like living together and like paying bills and you know dealing with like household problems and like oh I have to go to your like aunt's birthday party or whatever yeah but on the other hand I like I made a note about how I really like the married couples in this film because like Alfred is Alfred and Margaret are I are one couple and Doris and Carl are the servants and I I mean I appreciate that like you know Alfred and Margaret or Alfred is um Anna's brother-in-law through Margaret and he feels like some sense of like protection over her and like you know which Mm -hmm. you could say is like paternalistic but I like appreciate that he like treats her as like a sister in some ways and is like trying like trying to figure out the best for her and like he's the one like it's through him because of Scotland Yard that he's like explain to me why you're doing this um and you know and I I appreciate the sort of like married couple banter between Alfred and Margaret where Margaret is just like no here's what we're doing and Alfred's like oh no not again and I appreciate that Doris and Carl like the the relationship that they have where Doris is like Carl don't be a, a coward you can you know pretend to be this this guy that fills in for you know the guy who's had a huge <laughs> appendicitis or whatever like that was really funny that Carl's role in that <laughs> and he kept being like how was I <laughs> um that's true the two married couples are not portrayed as like oh these are terrible relationships but it's more there there's a little bit more of like I don't know what's the right word I mean they they also have good banter but it's a little bit more antagonizing maybe than what's between the main characters yeah it's not like it's not sexy no it's more just like oh you like (laughs) it seemed to me you know Ingrid Bergman's character has this very glamorous lifestyle Mm -hmm. and I was kind of I was curious about her as like an actress because she seemed like she was a well-known person but why was it so much about her reputation because didn't a lot of like actors already have sort of like a like there was a connotation to acting where it's like well you can't be of like high morals and be on the stage are we past that point (laughs) well and it's London so I don't know I mean I feel like like what I've always heard about like like um UK actors versus like US actors is that it's like it's understood to be at least like in a modern time it's like understood to be a like profession where you're you know you're working and um it's less like the scandal is less part of the like publicity machine whatever oh interesting I don't know if it matters that it's in the UK well so how do you think she was so rich because she was a successful famous actress but do you think you could be that rich just as a stage actor like to have that kind of apartment and like live in servants and those kinds of gowns and, and a, everything and a brand new Rolls Royce I have no idea I mean I guess like my sense from like Alfred from like with just like seeing her with Alfred and Margaret is that like 
they just like came they must have come from like a moneyed background and they just all have money like there's just a lot of money in this movie (laughs) yeah that's what I sort of assumed too that they must have had that kind of background because for her to marry this like sort of diplomat type person Mm -hmm. and they're going to all of these galas and everything and they seem pretty nonplussed by them (laughs) then it felt like oh yes like these are the circles that we're accustomed to yeah yeah I mean I noted that there seemed to be a lot of like etiquette rules to get around like uh, among these very rich people like going to the club where they're like oh I made you know she's like I made a plan to go to this friend's like club and he clearly is a different kind of rich and he's like they get there and he's and the friend has like bowed out in a like you know he says he's sick or whatever and that's just like the routine that they do to get around the rules of the club and he has to philip is like oh i didn't that's like a sneaky way to get around the rules so he's like (laughs) he's like diplomat rich and alfred margaret and anna are like richie rich yeah when they had those like really excellent uh ballet tickets and then they gave them to that young couple I thought it was really and then they were just like let's just go back to the club it was very nice and generous but I was like those are good seats like don't what you're just not gonna see the ballet now but they were just like oh there's all there's always ballets like it's yeah. like okay yeah, yeah. Well, it just the attitude about love and romance in the movie. Like, it seemed like, you know, she had her life so together. She was like this big professional. She has this great place. She's got like a social life. But then in this one area, it's just like, well, once a man comes in, it's just like swoon. And I do, it's not like she totally lost it, but she, it did seem like she centered the relationship a lot like more than I thought was probably healthy well but she also like picked up a like she wasn't working at the beginning of this of the movie and then she like finds a play that she likes so she does she is like working she has a life outside of him and he has a life outside of her they are only together on the weekends when neither one of them is working yes well I think I think I meant more like emotionally she mm-hmm. seemed very just focused on being in love and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And you don't think he was e- as equally like focused on being in love? I thought he, in in some ways to a greater extent than like in other movies you might've seen, cause he was going to the inconvenience of like traveling to her. And buying, but a, I still, buying a yacht. And buying the yacht. Although he had so much money, it was just like, oh yeah, here's a yacht. Like it was, but I do think that, he still was making decisions he made his work decisions like himself like without consulting her and he just seemed a little bit less moony than she did yeah I like the the term moony Because that was the, I mean, I guess it just made me mad as a woman that, like, at some point in the movie, she does say, like, oh, why can't we? She never even asks, like, what's the, you know, what happened with your wife? At least that were shown. Mm-hmm. And then she does ask at one point, like, why can't we just get married? And then she immediately, like, apologizes for it. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, you know what? It's okay for you to, like, have want things. Yeah. yeah, like, 
want things and have needs. I mean, I think that was part of what made me a little sad about it is like, it was one thing if it was like, oh, she really did just want to have the affair and this is what she wanted. But Mm -hmm. that scene kind of made it seem like she wasn't totally satisfied with that. Yeah. And she was calm and she felt like she couldn't even articulate those feelings because it was just like, yeah he you know whatever he wants basic or like whatever he can offer but it felt like they didn't really talk about things right they didn't actually have a whole conversation yeah and she didn't have all the information so like he clearly had the upper hand i just realized that i have a note that says phew carrie grant is smoking hot oh my gosh i wrote they're indulging all my sexual fantasies with carrie grant dancing the reel notice no stunt double (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, hell that scene. I'm not even gonna lie. I've rewatched that scene multiple times. <laughs> Love it. That's the gift that you sent me that I was like, oh yeah, she's seen this movie. But no. Just... No, I, I have not seen no, I someone had sent me that gift before. So like I knew that I knew of the scene, but then the I that part is so funny where she's like being disapproving and I loved seeing the whole dance. Cary Grant was very good. <laughs> he was a good dancer. Yeah. Also, in the be- like closer to the beginning, he- well, let's just state he's in a tux like the whole movie. Yeah. And then towards the beginning, he's wearing a tux and glasses. Right. Yes. <laughs> so- <laughs> Which reminds me of when he's in Charade, where spoiler alert, he is ends up being a diplomat and my note for this my first note in this movie was can Cary Grant be all the diplomats because glasses and a tux please (laughs) yes he just so I mean despite like any of the issues I have with like the relationship dynamic like this movie I would rewatch this like a million times over because the costumes are great the dialogue is great the chemistry is great and you've got the dancing scenes. And it's just oh, also, did you notice that there is a reference to climate change? I was just gonna say, did you notice there was a reference to climate change? Yes. Cary Grant knew. Cary Grant knew before Al Gore knew. Let's just I mean, you heard it here first at yeah. the Screen Sirens podcast. Yeah, Cary Grant recognizing climate change. Yeah, no, I mean, some climate anxiety happening in this movie, in the in the lift. They were like, our Rolls Royce is contributing to this. Yeah, and we don't care. <laughs> that just reminds me, just to like date this podcast episode, there's been a lot of like flooding in you know new york and vermont and new england or whatever and martha stewart posted a series of photos of the damage to her property she posted these photos on instagram and her caption said you know politicians need to do something about climate change and i was like why don't you you have five your substantial wealth Yeah, you and your substantial wealth, your 5 million Instagram (laughs) followers, and your, like, dozens of platforms, your 15 houses, all your horses, like, I don't know, welcome to the fight. Like, oh my god. (laughs) We're sorry about the damage to your property, Martha. But there are literally people still missing um, in Bucks County right now from the flooding two days ago. Right. It just, like, please. (laughs) 
Wow. Well, that's what we call being tone deaf and she needs to fire her PR person. That's what I'm going to say. No, she does Uh, her own Instagram posts. She does? She really? Yes. I mean, it is. I assume so. It is very obvious. She does her own. So I didn't know about that. This is now the Martha Stewart podcast. (laughs) But I have seen that she's been posting like thirst traps of herself in the pool. (laughs) That's old news, Emily. (laughs) Sorry. To further date this podcast. (laughs) I've been living my own life, making my own decisions for a long while now. It's impossible to go back to being treated like a child again. Let's talk, Bechtel. Are there two women in the movie who talk to each other about something besides men and relationships? Doris and Anna talk about her dress. Yeah. I was talking with Mike about this, and he was making the argument that it does pass for that reason, that there's some like more minor conversations among the women that is just like you know, more like logistical stuff. Yeah. Do you agree with that assessment? I would say that I think it passes, but it's probably, it's probably like a D or a C, you know, (laughs) so it's like a low pass (laughs) because it does have as many developed female characters as male characters. Mm -hmm. I do think that like the women are given a lot to do in this, Mm -hmm. in this movie, but most of it is just about the relationship. Yeah. So I would say it passes, but not by very much. On um, technicality. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's better than some other movie. Like right. there's somewhere the technicality is like, you know, a servant girl is like, would you like something to drink? <laughs> so I think it's better than that because it definitely, it includes the woman's perspective in this movie and there are like decent female characters. Yeah. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. So what about social justice? I, do you think there's a lot, like a, a lot of problems for these rich white people? Yeah, they have, these rich white people are just like having so many problems. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I think like there were sparks of like the climate piece and the, like some of the, by its ostentatiousness, it made me think about like, oh, the people who don't have a beautiful, enormous like apartment in in, you know what I can only assume is one of the richest areas of London because we see that young clearly not very rich couple um who get the ballet seats it like made me think like oh what is their like experience like like of the world right now yeah. um so there are these like glimmers or like sparks of like okay something different from this wealthy privileged existence yeah that's true and i also thought and i don't know if this would fit more under bechtel or not that there is like a level of scrutiny of anna in the movie that actually makes it difficult for them to have the affair because she's a woman where they have to keep up these sort of elaborate ruses of like Mm-hmm. He had to, takes a place in the same building, but it's on a different floor. And like, if he calls, he can't actually say yes. what he wants to say. They have to have code. And like, even when they are first get together and they do go to the ballet and like they're walking, her servant is like following them in the car. Like the kids are interrupting them. It's very hard for them to get any like privacy, basically. Like 
And, you know, the movie doesn't make a huge deal about this difference, but they talk a lot about how she has to consider her reputation. Like if it gets Mm -hmm. out that she's having an affair with a married man, it's going to hurt her, but it's not going to hurt him. So in a way, like, even though it ends up not being true that he's married, like she's risking a great deal yeah by pursuing that relationship yeah yeah she's risking a lot and it just emphasizes the difference in the way society treats men and women in those situations yeah yeah that is true it does definitely does that (laughs) but it's true that like even the poorest people we see in the movie are like those kids who don't seem like horribly bad off and the servants seem like very comfortable (laughs) so it's like I don't know. It felt like a very insular world. Like all they were doing is like going to clubs and going to like arts events and going to galas and parties and stuff. And I was like, you probably like barely know normal people. (laughs) This is is like a whole other world. (laughs) I know, you know, no normal people. Yeah. Because even the like servants are like, yeah, they're living in a beautiful, expansive apartment. Yeah. Their biggest dilemma is should Carl put on the robe or not? (laughs) Yeah. Should Carl, yeah, should they make dinner for her or not? Or is it their day off? Oh, one social justice thing. Did you catch the line where Anna flippantly refers to being a white slaver? Yes. Yeah. It's like, we could do without this, Anna. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was like, cringe. Like, a lot of the dialogue was, like, funny and held up. But then there were some lines that I was like, ooh, no, no, no. And that was one of them. Yeah, I know. Just like, mm, no. <laughs> well, so what would you rate this one? I mean, I'm gonna like, I feel overly generous about this movie because I have loved it for so long. So I'm gonna give it a 4.5. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I said overly generous. You're you're allowed to not have your judgment clouded by nostalgia. Okay. Um, I feel like I'm a curmudgeon in this book. <laughs> Well, I'm still giving. I'm You're giving it a, a good curmudgeon. rating. <laughs> I know. I guess I am. I'm, I will give it a three point five, which is a good rating. So I really enjoyed it for all the reasons that I said. I had frustrations with like the dynamics of the central relationship, so that's why it's not higher. Because I like I was kind of mad at some of the things that were being said and done, but if you like take that part out. I just, I love the aesthetic of the movie mm-hmm. and I love Carrie and Ingrid together. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting. Like, I almost wish they had gone deeper into that whole idea of like, like love and romance and the affair and mm-hmm. like, is, I wanted to see like what, what happened after they got married. Like, I, cause I feel like in some ways their relationship would have been like negatively impacted. Mm-hmm. Like if you're looking more at the surface level, like, is this fun? Is this romantic kind of thing? Yeah. So yeah, I, I think it's equal about that. Maybe like we should write a sequel for this movie. <laughs> so i was just in like very into the whole thing except for the the lying and the then and anna's theatrics like later on i know too were just a little much for me slightly slightly over the top (laughs) a little bit yeah how old do you think they were supposed to be in this well i was calculating it and i think anna is 
I mean, Ingrid Bergman's or Ingrid Bergman, sorry, was 43 when this movie came out. Wow. She's so beautiful. You know. Yeah, because it felt like like mature people who are like looking for like a relationship that's not not necessarily a marriage, but they want like companionship and fun and romance and sex. And like that was this. Like, and there are people like that who just like they go through different periods of like being with different people, but they don't necessarily structure their lives in like a traditional mm-hmm. like family marriage kind of way. And, you know, it seems to work for them. So, yeah. Well, and that's why, like, I mean, that's really the basis for why Philip was like, I don't want to get married. I want, you know, I want all the good stuff without, <laughs> without the hard stuff. And I don't want to like have to go through the like the pageantry of it. We're just like, we just know we can't get married. And so we're having companionship without the like that looming question hovering over us. Yeah, that's true. The way just the way you put that of like the good stuff without the hard stuff. I think that's like the limitations you can have on that kind of relationship is that it doesn't necessarily get to a level of like I'm gonna like help you through this hard time in your life or like it doesn't want to be bothered with that yeah. stuff. it's just for like fantasy and escapism and like fun and so it, that's that's the downside of it but anyway three and a half stars <laughs> would recommend would recommend feel free to rewatch Cary Grant dancing a reel or forever feel good I, honestly I that's gonna be something I watch like if I'm having a bad day <laughs> I'm just gonna be like up oh, pull up YouTube <laughs> so Hill how are we gonna follow this up okay so we're following it up with Blue Hawaii which is an entirely different direction but I feel like continues our like music heavy movies yes and it'll be a nice summer beach flick May it please the court, I submit that my entire line of defense is based on the proposition that persons of the female sex should be dealt with before the law as the equals of persons of the male sex. Follow The Screen Sirens on Twitter at The Screen Sirens. Leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud to help other people find us. And become a patron at patreon.com slash The Screen Sirens. Thanks for listening. After all, tomorrow is another day. Thank you.